Welcome to Shatter the Stigma, where Alex and Sam, two psychology majors, explore all things psychology. We discuss random psychology facts, our own mental health struggles, and whatever comes to our ADHD brains. Just a disclaimer, we are not licensed professionals. We are just two university students that really love psychology. This is for education and entertainment purposes only. Hey guys, welcome back. Today we are going to be talking about depression. What a fun and uplifting topic. Oh yes, of course. This is my specialty. (laughs) (laughs) Not mine, so we'll refer to Sam for most of the episode. I'm just here with some fun statistics. I got you. You know, add a little bit of spice. (laughs) Spice. Okay, so I know depression is really like well known as a mental disorder. It's pretty prevalent. I have two really interesting statistics about depression kind of globally. Actually, I think I have three. Major depressive disorder, which to clarify, that is what we're talking about in this episode. When we say depression, we're talking about major depressive disorder. It affects approximately 17.3 million American adults. So that's about 7.1% of the U.S adult population. That's a big number. Here's another big number. 1.9 million children aged 3 to 17 have diagnosed depression. Again, a very large number. And just to kind of like top things off for statistics, uh, because we love it, globally, more than 264 million people of all ages suffer from major depressive disorder. So yes, it's prevalent, Sam. <laughs> oh, those are very big numbers. And if They're very big numbers. To depression, I don't know what does. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this podcast? <laughs> Maybe. I think that might be the point. Maybe. Maybe we should ask the hosts. Maybe they'll know. I'll, I'll let you know next time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Sam, tell us about depression. Okay, well, you know, there's always a stereotypical depression that's like, you know, you always the suicidal and always want to die, can't get out of bed. And it's not it's not always like that. And Alex, what did your psychology professor tell you? So one of my favorite psychology professors I've ever had, like amazing. This is has always stuck with me. And it's not all depressed people are suicidal. But all suicidal people are depressed. And I feel like that's a really important distinction to make because you can have depression and not have suicidal thoughts or you can have intrusive suicidal thoughts with no intention to act on them. You know? Yeah, I know what you mean. Herself, but it's- <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Well, I do have depression. I'm more on the high functioning side, though. So I know some people that can't get out of bed and they have trouble being functioning. They can't hold a job. And that's okay. Like, that's yeah. that's what happens. Like, you know, it's part of depression. It's You get disability from it because it is a disability. Yeah, it's one of the leading disabilities worldwide. Another fun statistic. Yeah, exactly. So it is a disability. And a lot of people stereotype that as, oh, you just can't get out of bed. You're just lazy. It's like, no, it is a disability. It is. But at the same time, those who are high functioning like myself are have a hard time talking about it because pe- I don't want to say people don't believe me people but yeah exactly I'm not validated because you know I'm I have depression and I cope with humor I cope with a lot of humor yes she does if anyone was wondering Sam is the queen of coping with dark humor <laughs> oh 
yeah. Oh yeah. I can think of anything for any time. And it's just, I just have to refrain from not saying that. And my impulse control from ADHD makes that very hard. So <laughs> it's, it's a rough time. But on that note, people who are high functioning have trouble opening up about that because people don't necessarily believe them. Or they say like, oh, you you don't have the stereotypical not being able to get out of bed. You don't appear to be suicidal. You don't appear to like experience any of the stereotypical symptoms. Therefore, you don't have depression and you're just attention seeking. But that's yeah, not true. Yeah, there's definitely like stigma that people with high functioning mental illness, they don't actually have mental illness. They're just pretending, which is so false because you can internally be struggling a lot and it's you're not going to show it because you've learned the coping skills to be able to move through your life or maybe it doesn't affect you in like the ways that would make it so you can't function. Exactly. And even if they were faking it and trying to get attention, that's also a mental illness. It is. <laughs> so. I, I feel like people say stuff about that. They're like, they're faking their mental illness for attention. And I was like, but that in and of itself is worrying because that means that something else is going on. Yeah. That's a whole other episode. Whole, that other, whole episode. other episode. A different can of worms. Um, And something I really quickly want to bring up, just kind of like, I know this is off topic topic about what we were just talking about but it's something that really disturbed me when i was doing the research for this episode was that the highest like racial prevalence of depression is people who have reported being identifying with more than one race so people who are mixed race and have more than one race have a much 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 higher rate of depression and they're also less likely to reach out for support and treatment and also a lot of times they receive absolutely no treatment which that's very sucky of our mental health system as a whole that's really sad i know right i was like that made me so sad and the difference is even more pronounced so that kind of statistic i think it was like 11.3 percent of people who reported to different races had higher rates of severe depression and the I forget the statistic for kids but it's way higher among those those people which why <laughs> why is the stigma so bad it pisses me off it's so sad how there's so much stigma around so many mental illnesses especially this one mm-hmm. people think that it's either you're lying or you're not and if you're not then you're really bad and if you're really bad and when i say that i mean stereotypical not being able to get out of bed and not being able to hold a job and etc then you're doing it for attention. There is no win in this. No, there's no like, quote unquote, better part, like better way to have a mental illness because having a high functioning mental illness, like you struggle with high functioning depression, Sam. I know from people I've talked to, I have friends that struggle with depression as well. When you're high functioning and you're able to like perform essentially, in society that's kind of what it feels like it feels kind of like you're putting on a performance and nobody can see what's actually going on inside and so it can almost trick your brain into thinking like well maybe i am faking because nobody can see what's going on inside of me maybe they're right you know and i feel like that leads to the lower and lower and lower treatment rates like you just said that people put on a face i also think that we purposely put on a face like for instance People assume that if you have depression, you can't get out of bed in the morning. Like, it's so hard. You're late for everything because you can't get out of bed. I'm high functioning and I also can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. Do I end up getting up out of bed? Yes, I do. But how long does that take me? 
If I want to wake up at 6 a.m., I have to set my alarms for 4.30 and I have to set one for every five minutes until six o'clock because then I will get out of bed. It takes me an hour to an hour and a half, but a normal person can wake up at six and Mm -hmm. be fine and not need a thousand alarms. Yeah. So I'm able to hide it better because I know how to strategize how to cope with it. And that's what makes me high functioning. And that's okay that if you can't do that, that's okay. Yeah. It's a different level of coping. It definitely is. And I think that's something to be said for receiving treatment is people who have gone through years and years of therapy and have developed the coping skills, developed the kind of how to plan out your day to kind of accommodate, I want to say. Is that the right word? I don't know if that's the right word. But I think it is. Illness, like depression, especially what you were saying about your alarms, your like huge list of alarms in order to get up at this specific time, you have to plan out, all right, I know it's going to take this long for me to do that. And you develop those skills through years and years of therapy. And with really low rates of people reaching out for treatment, it's no wonder that we're seeing depression rates go up and like the severity of depression go up because people aren't getting the treatment to be able to kind of live with and work with and accommodate their mental illness and be high functioning. And not to say that high functioning is where it's at and like the gold standard because everyone's mental illness has a range. It's like it's a spectrum. I've, yeah, I've talked to you on some of your bad days and you're like, I haven't moved. And then on some of your good days, you're like, I've gone out and I've gone and I've done this and this and this. And like, by the way, you're coming on FaceTime with me to the store. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge spectrum, right? Even within one person. And I feel like people don't understand that a lot of the time about depression. They they think it's very like one thing. They're like, oh, you're just sad. Every day it's different too. Like there, like you just said, there are days when I'm just, I'm so down in the dumps. I just can't do it. Like on my days off, people will say, take a mental health day. You'll be fine. And me personally, because I'm broke and I need money, I will work and I'll take my mental health day as my day off. But because Mm -hmm. I did that, I didn't do any laundry. I didn't do like, I didn't shower. I didn't, you know, so I'm sacrificing my mental health with my chores, which is okay. If that's needed, that is okay. But there's also for depression, it's not every single day. There are days when I'm, I'm doing awesome. I'm so productive. I did everything on my to-do list and I got myself Starbucks and I'm just, I'm just great. I'm great. But then there's another day where I'm just so, so down. Like I, I can't get out of bed. It takes me hours and I don't have anywhere to be. So I think that's okay. And it is, Yeah. but it really depends on the day and people see someone on their good day and they're like, oh, they don't have depression because they're having a good day. Yeah. They assume that your good day is your every day. And that's definitely not the case. Exactly. So that's another reason that it's hard for people to reach out because people don't believe them because they had a good day and they had, even if it's like a good week or a good month, if you had a good day, week or month, Kudos to you because you had a good day, week, or month. We applaud you. Go you. (laughs) That's the goal is to have good days. Mm -hmm. And if someone puts you down for it, that's not okay. Yeet them from your life. Yeah, yeet them from your life. There we go. Don't actually eat them because that's kind of illegal, but like yeet them from your life. Metaphorically. Metaphorically yeet them. Maybe yeet yeet their phone number. Not your phone, their phone number. I mean, if you want to yeet your phone, that might cost you a couple grand but it's doable it's, it's if you got the money for that you go for it but 
Another thing I wanted to touch on, which just so y'all know, I'm totally springing this on Sam. I have not mentioned this yet. Um, her eyes just got huge. But something I wanted to touch on was there's this kind of like, I don't want to say like pop culture, but that's kind of, that's all that's coming to my head. This pop culture kind of idea of this like romanticized like depression of like, oh, like I write sad poetry and I, I cry and like I self-harm and like, all of this stuff it's it's kind of put in this light of like a very romantic way and like you'll get into a relationship with someone and they'll rescue you from this and like I wanted to talk about how absolutely wrong that is along with romanticizing it that's also a form of attention seeking kind of which is also a thing in itself yeah so because not everyone with depression self-harms that's true and even if someone does self-harm people we break the stigma of depression and then people are like, you know, you have depression. Well, I'm here for you. I like, I care about you. I'm here for you. And then things get hard. And then that's where the stigma comes in. That's when they're like, can't do this. Bye. And that's not okay because yeah. it got hard. Because people some- don't like the ugly stuff. People don't exactly. like, I've had friends that have self-harmed in the past. And I, it's like the whole, like, well, is it infected? That kind of thing. You know, like people don't like that. People don't like the concept that someone has trouble showering, you know? something like that people don't like that that's something that i one of my big things when i worked at the facility i worked at was getting kids to shower that's it's hard to do when you have depression and stuff and that's kind of where people fall off because we've we've started to move through the whole like depression is a taboo thing to talk about now people will like walk in the room and be like i have depression nice but (laughs) yeah Um, but like now we're kind of getting into the like the stigma of the nitty-gritty stuff the stuff that's the actual symptoms yeah the actual symptoms the not romanticized version yeah that's been portrayed kind of by the media and speaking about the showers at my facility a lot of these kids that come in haven't showered in weeks And some of them don't want to shower. And there was one time where a girl came in and her roommate came up to me and was like, my room stinks. And it's because of this girl who was new. She hasn't showered. And we tried to get her to shower. She wouldn't shower. And her roommate was so upset to the point where I took the girl's shower bucket, went up to her and I said, you need to shower. I was like, get in the shower right now. I know it's hard and take a shower. And she looked at me and she was like, okay. Yeah. I was like, sometimes you just need a little bit of motivation. Sometimes you know a little bit of tough love, but it is hard to shower. And me personally, that's one of the things that I struggle with is showering. Mm-hmm. There are some days where I'll shower like every other day, which is what I try to do. And then there's some days where really I'm really ashamed to say this, but I'll go like five or six days and I feel disgusting and I want to shower and I want to get in clean clothes. But the energy that it takes to get myself into the shower and then to raise my arms to wash my hair and to just do all the basic things takes so much energy out of me because of my depression. Mm -hmm. So that's okay. Should you shower more often? Yes, but it's a process. Oh yeah. It takes time. There's going to be some days or some weeks where I showered every day this week or I showered every other day this week. That's great. But then there's sometimes you're like, yeah, I haven't showered in like six days or I haven't showered in a week. And then when you do shower, it takes a lot of energy, but I also feel better after. Yeah. It's just the energy leading up to it. Yeah. Thank you. That that was like, I haven't, I haven't had quite that like level of insight. I've just, what I've seen personally has been like 
kids being like, I can't do it. And on the flip side, some people with depression, their coping skill is showering. So like everyone experiences things on a like wide, wide range, wide spectrum of everything. You know, I had one kid that like we had to limit things because their coping skill was showering. And so they would take like three showers a day. And we were like, kid, we can't facilitate three showers a day. We understand your coping skill is showering, but we can't do that. You know, we haven't had any that their coping skill is showering. We've had some where they take an hour long shower to the point where their roommate is like, hey, I want a shower. So Mm -hmm. we say like, you know, your roommate needs to go first. Because I know you want to take a long shower. So roommate gets to go first because they take shorter showers. Or some of the kids will take a shower both day and night because they have the opportunity both in the morning and before they go to bed. So once in a while, we'll get the kid that'll do both. Mm -hmm. But if normally they don't, so we'll have like one roommate go this time. Like they just work it out. But sometimes we do have kids that will shower for an hour. Yeah. And I'm like, aren't you running out of hot water? Like, I don't know how that works. Do we have unlimited hot water? (laughs) Probably, honestly. But yeah, hygiene is a huge thing that people don't like to talk about in regards to depression. But I feel like it's something that needs to be talked about more and more openly. There's kind of a gap in understanding that that's a normal symptom. Yeah, and it's hygiene in general. It's not just showering. Like in high school, I had trouble brushing my teeth. It was disgusting. Huge one, yeah. It was disgusting and I felt disgusting and I knew that my breath smelled, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Now, after I graduated, then I kind of like, you know, I started working on myself more and now I brush my teeth every day. And now I'm on like a basic level with that. But back then when my depression was extremely bad, that was, it was hard. And And people don't think about that. It's about baby steps and it's about building routines for yourself and stuff. And it's also about giving yourself the flexibility to go outside those routines when your mental health needs that or when your mental health doesn't allow for that. The other day I had a coworker tell me that she read a study or something like or an article or something that said that if you complete 75% of your to-do list, you will feel accomplished. And she said, when you say to-do list, we mean break it down. So instead of just saying laundry, put the laundry in the washer, transfer it to the dryer, put your laundry away. That's three things right there. Vacuuming your room, vacuuming, instead of just saying vacuuming, your room, a different room, you know, that's, that's some right there or brushing your teeth. Getting the vacuum out. Yeah. Yeah. And even showering. It's like getting into the shower, washing your hair and getting out or like washing your hair and your body and then getting out. That's three right there. Yeah. You know, if you break it up into the smallest things possible, not only does it make you feel accomplished because you just crossed off a lot of stuff, it's still, it's 75%. Yeah. And it does make you feel better. And it does get better each day with that. She said that she started doing that and it helped a lot. It took a while because not everything gets better overnight. It does not get better overnight. And I tell people that I'm straight with them. The kids, when they're really upset, And they're like, you know, it's never going to get better. And I said, it's not, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It won't be better tomorrow. And it might not be better next week, but it will get better. Yeah. Like I'm going to be straight with you. (laughs) It's not going to be better tomorrow, but it will be eventually because it takes time. It's a process. So when you first start doing it, it feels so stupid and you feel, you don't feel good about yourself. You're like, this is stupid. I'm not going to do it anymore. It doesn't help continue to do it and it you will because there will be one day where you don't want to do anything and then you accomplish 75% of that list and you feel good about yourself while other days you didn't because you thought it was stupid it's a process and it takes time and it's the little things so 
Okay. Right, so now I like to write out my to-do list in very little parts. Yeah, no, and it's that's again like that kind of like learning to work with and accommodate your mental health, your mental illness, your depression in order to live your life the best you can with that. It's like any other disability in that respect that like you need to accommodate it. There needs to be accommodations for it. Something like breaking everything down into very small tasks to make it seem more doable, to help you feel motivated to get it done and to feel accomplished. I haven't talked about this a ton. I struggle with chronic illness. I have to do a similar thing on days that my body's like, hey, Alex, no, we're not doing things today. I have to do a very similar thing. It's a similar, for different reasons, but a similar method, I guess. And I, I think that kind of tie in with recognizing that like it is in fact an actual disability. It, that's important because people around the world, I think, at least in the US, have this kind of notion that it's not necessarily that. It's, it's not a disability. It's just like, oh, I have depression. I get sad. You know, they don't understand that it's a global thing that impacts so much of your life. There's a difference between being sad and being depressed. Oh, yeah. And there's a difference between sadness and depression. And people have trouble finding that line. Mm -hmm. They do. Like, and it's, it's kind of a slap in the face to me personally, because I do have depression, because it kind of puts a stereotype on it. And it makes me feel less valid. But at the same time, I know. I know what I have. I know that I'm struggling, like what I struggle with. And I know that I am valid. And did I learn that overnight? Oh, hell no. It took me <laughs> years to get to that point. Years. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not. It's not. It might take a couple months. It might take a couple years. Yeah. It, but it will happen if you stick around for the long run. Please stick around. That's another thing. Please stick around, friends. Yes. We want... So. Please stay. And with that, we will do a separate episode on suicide. We will. Yes. I have done written several papers and I've done a ton of research on suicide. No, not the cheeriest topic to be very interested in, but I've done a lot of research on it. So we will be doing a completely different episode on suicide, which is why you're not hearing us talk a lot about suicide in this depression episode, even though the two are very, very, very linked because one can lead to the other. Not necessarily, but exactly. So we will cover that later on. But for now, we're going to end this right here. And it was great talking with you guys. And we awesome. hope to see you again next time. Yes. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Shatter the Stigma. We are sponsored by our bank accounts. And if you'd like to contact us, our email is shatteringthemhstigma at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram at shatter.thestigma and on Twitter at shatter underscore stigma underscore. Thanks for listening.